We're doing a series called Employing God's Gifts, and we have kind of bogged down a little bit in chapter 9. I probably, uh, obviously, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I wish I had just done the spiritual gifts as three separate chapters, because we've uh, looked at the spiritual gifts as as dividing, you know, a tradi- kind of a traditional way of talking about them, at least since the 1960s has been to to divide them into the three word gifts or the mouthpiece of God, the three uh, discernment gifts or the eyes of God, you might say, and uh, the three power gifts or the hands of God. So if you will, turn on your outline. Does everybody have an outline? Anybody not have an outline? It's kind of easier if you have one. Turn on, turn over to the back, and what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the three power gifts a little bit this morning, and then I'm hoping to allocate my time in such a way as to review what we've covered in the first nine chapters of this because it's become kind of disjointed with, you know, uh, people being gone, traveling, uh, the Wright State students being gone, and so forth. Uh, a lot uh, Jordan's had to work a lot, et cetera. There's been a lot of people coming and going and missing. So I think if I, I'm hoping to have time to just kind of give a, a brief review of the first nine chapters, which is what Jason's bringing me. The, the, that's okay. I know the material anyway. But okay, so uh, that's because chapter four and five were the same outline actually. So uh, gifts, uh, the, the what's traditionally called the power gifts of the spirit. If, if uh, just I don't want to review much, but if you Look at 1 Corinthians 12 carefully, which is in Roman numeral 2 on the front of your outline. You'll see that, uh, and we'll go back and address this later, but there's much confused thinking about gifts in the church today. Of course, uh, in chapter 1, we we made it very clear that everything in life is a gift from God. Uh, Your very life is a gift. Actually, the first work of the Holy Spirit, we always think, is conviction and being drawn to Christ and then conversion. But actually, the first work of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit gives even those who are not aware of God their life. The Holy Spirit is active in every unbeliever's life, giving them life in the first place. And so life is a gift. Jesus talked about how God caused his reign to reign on on wicked and unprincipled men, and that his good gifts were given even to those who hated him. And so uh, uh, the second category of gifts you might say is our second wave, second wave of gifts that come to our lives is, is the gifts that regard our conversion and our salvation and, and then our sanctification and, and so forth. And so in that sense, uh, when you hear statements today like, oh, this guy has his gift of love and this lady over here has a gift of evangelism, and Betty Lou has uh, the gift of prayer, and so forth. That that statement, in a sense, is correct and accurate, but but it's but it's confusing in because it's not very biblically precise. In in a, on, on one level, it's actually biblically accurate because your very breath is a gift. If you pray, it's a gift. If you read your Bible, it's a gift. Uh, if you're alive today, it's a gift. If you love Jesus, that's a, that's a gift of redemption that you could not have attained to in any way, shape, or form on your own. 
but when the Bible starts talking about the gifts that are in the body of Christ for the edification of, of, of the body of Christ, because God's purposes are always through, always have been, it has always been his goal in Genesis 1 and Genesis 12, etc. It has always been his goal to have a people that lived under his lordship for his glory, to manifest his glory, to bring the kingdom to earth through the temple of his people. That is the purpose of the whole Bible. And so uh, God's never, never swayed from that purpose. He didn't, you know, after Adam and Eve sinned, he didn't uh, go, oh my gosh, I don't have a plan B in place. See, the plan B in, was already in place from all eternity. Hebrews 13, 20, the blood of the eternal covenant. The, the Father and the Son and the Spirit had a covenant from all eternity before time was created that the Son would come to redeem man. So uh, God's purposes are in his people always. And so when we start talking about gifts specifically, as Paul's talking about them in 1 Corinthians 12, it's a chapter about the body of Christ. And he lists three categories of gifts. The gifts of motivation, the gifts of of uh, uh, ministry, the service gifts, and, and we'll look at, we'll kind of review those a little bit if we get a chance. Uh, but those, are, of course, are apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teachers, administrations, and help. Seven gifts of service or ministry in the body of Christ. Often called the fivefold ministry today, but they're really sevenfold in the New Testament. So, um, and then. Finally, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Each, Of course, each of these types of gifts re relate to a different member of the Trinity. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are also called the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So, and uh, the word phonorosis gets used for that because you can't see the Spirit. No one can see spiritual things. The spiritual realm is, is an unseen realm. Our five senses are of no value in the in the spiritual realm, except, as Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, and you see the effect in the trees, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. We can see the, re the manifestations of the Spirit in terms of the effects they have, but we don't see spiritually. <clears throat> now, that's important because, you know, Simon, in Acts chapter 8, Simon... Uh, who Simony is named after? He didn't have good. He didn't have good discernment, but he still saw that the Holy Spirit was imparted through the laying on of hands uh, from the apostles. So he was able to discern by his five senses that something was going on because there was a manifestation of what was going on. All right, so let's try to get just cover these power gifts. Then we'll. I've reviewed a little, and hopefully I'll review some more. A little disjointed there, but hopefully you can follow. Um, some people call the, the power gifts the hand of God. Uh, God is a creator. He's a redeemer. By definition, 1 Corinthians 2 talks about how the natural mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. By definition, wherever God's Spirit is moving, there will be a physical manifestations. We talk about the manifest presence of God in worship. Okay, it's impossible for the Holy Spirit to be doing anything without it having an effect in the natural. That's kind of the meaning of the incarnation. God, the, unlike Gnosticism, which there's a lot of Gnosticism in Protestantism today, but in Gnosticism, there's this good spiritual realm, and there's this evil physical realm, and they're disjointed. But God created all the physical realm, 
And when he got done and three times during the six days, he says it's very good. But on the seventh, uh, on the sixth day, when he finished creating, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, he created them naked. He created them married. He created them for sexuality and so forth. That's when he said it's very good, <laughs> which, uh, uh, you know, just basically makes it very clear that the the material realm it was is was not evil in its its initial creation. Uh, and Jesus invading the internal realm by becoming a baby, what First John chapter one is all talking about, what we, the things we've seen, handled, tasted, touched, is that was so contrary to the Roman Empire's thinking. Greek thinking was this division between the unseen and the seen. Biblical thinking is that they're intricately, inextricably intertwined, and that God came, he didn't just come to save souls like in modern Christianity. He didn't come to make you so you could make Jesus your personal savior. He came to redeem the whole creation. <clears throat> now, power gifts are one way he does that because he created the whole creation in the first place. And frankly, it's no more difficult. We talk about creative miracles and so forth, but it's no more difficult to God to heal a cold versus healing cancer or restoring uh, someone's sight who was born blind and their eyes were never formed in the first place. One of the things, but for us human beings, we find that certain levels of that more amazing than others. And it really is because of our faith issues that we don't see more of God's creative miracles. It's not God's faith issues. He's not saying, oh, gee, John Gray has the flu, that's an easy one, but someone else was born blind, that's a hard one. That's not, that's not actually accurate for God, that's how we think. And that's why in Jesus' day, the people were amazed. He, three times Jesus raised people from the dead, but they weren't quite as amazed about that as when in John 9, when he healed a man born blind. Because they, they knew their Bibles well enough to know that Elijah had had raised people from the dead. But nobody had ever healed someone born blind before. But again, it's not God. It was never God's lack. It's, it's our lack in being conduits of what God wants to do. The thing I always want to say is this. You know, there are millions of radio sig signals in this room right now. And there's satanic demons. There's angels of God. There's the presence of the Holy Spirit. The, the unseen realm is so much more real than we, than we know. And it's a matter of learning to walk in the Spirit so that we have an ability to recognize what the Spirit's wanting to do and, and what the Spirit, God is wanting to do much more than we think. The limitation is in us, not in what he's wanting to do. Jesus came to seek and to save that was lost. So he came, he came to heal. He came to convict of sin. He came to draw people to God. He came to deliver from demons. Everything that has to do with the word, you know, we talk about the word soza and the, the doctrines of soteriology. Everything that has to do with redeeming everything that's fallen is what Jesus came to do and what he's presently in this room wanting to do. So the issue is, you know, what we're the reason we're asking everyone to read the book, The Holy Spirit and You, this coming year, is because in a post-enlightenment world, we're, a church is not going to move into demonstrations of God's supernatural by accident. We have to be intentional about that. And we have to become people who walk in the Spirit. The reason I've actually 
taken a couple messages in the middle of this that aren't in the outline and just exhorted us to get free, to walk in the spirit, to not be addicted to certain habits and, and not be fleshly and all those kinds of things is because we will never accomplish the purposes of God. God does not want superstar guys that are doing the gifts. He wants bodies of Christians that are doing the gifts. And so we need to, as a body, be holy. We need to, as a body, be humble. We need to, as a body, walk by the Spirit. If we walk by the Spirit, we won't carry out the deeds of the flesh. You know, uh, I've actually kind of just given up on counseling people until they're really wanting to be born again, baptized in the Spirit, and walk by the power of the Spirit, because you know what? All the counseling in the world won't work. It won't work for single brother relationships. It won't work for marriages. It won't work for managing your finances. If, if you're not led by the Spirit of God, you cannot do anything except bring about the deeds of the flesh. So let's look at these uh, uh, things that God is wanting to do. In 1 Corinthians 4.20 is a verse I hope you all have uh, some knowledge of, where Paul sa says that my, my speech in my... Uh, my proclamation to you was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration, or the Greek word uh, is phanerosis, manifestation of the Spirit of God. In other words, what... I forgot to turn this off. Sorry. So what... When I came to you, I was, I was determined not only to declare the gospel of the kingdom of God, but to demonstrate it with gifts of power. And if you look at Mark 16, Luke 24, Acts 1, all through the book of Acts, that it was never intended for the gospel to be proclaimed and to have the depth of the Holy Spirit be that possibly the Holy Spirit was tugging at their hearts, and that's it. You know, I initially started coming to Christ uh, at a, probably the most well-known national evangelist for, in the last quite a few decades, uh, doing a crusade in Cleveland, and there was a little bit of a tugging at my heart of the Holy Spirit. And my mind was therefore going, maybe there's something to this. It could be real. And But the problem with that is I also reasoned, and if I go forward, my dad will get off my back. And so I went forward with very mixed motives. But God, God wants to demonstrate his power. So now, the gift of faith is one of these. The gifts of healings is another. And the effecting of miracles, which is uh, could actually be translated the works of power. Effecting could be works, and miracles could be power, uh, depending on how you translate the, the Greek words. The, um, the, the gift of faith is a supernatural surge of confidence in a specific situation that God is about to act in an extraordinary manner, and an impartation of the ability to affect this situation by the Holy Spirit, usually by speaking the word. One of the things, if you study anyone who really does gifts of the Spirit well, which uh, if you want to study beyond the Holy Spirit and you, I would encourage you maybe to study some of the stuff that comes out of Bethel Redding and Bill Johnson. We, we used his book, uh, When Heaven Invades Earth. Uh, but as you... Um, it's, you know, we don't just pray and then, like, tack on some statement of unbelief, if it be your will, Lord. You know, uh, gifts of faith are when God's Holy Spirit gives you faith to believe it, to know it, and to speak it 
so in such a way that it that you're speaking it brings it about now uh moses uh did this many times in the book of exodus right jesus does this with the fig tree and i just read a bizarre liberal theory that that uh like Jesus cursing the fig tree demonstrates that he that he wasn't uh, a, a godly person because he shouldn't have cursed the fig tree. And uh, oh my gosh, I wonder if some people like do LSD before they read the Bible or something. But um, <laughs> no, that's an actual theory out there in certain liberal circles that, that Jesus couldn't be the Son of God. He couldn't be divinity because he cursed the fig tree, and that's obviously not good. <laughs> So you should have hugged the fig tree. But, um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, Jesus curses the fig tree. It has great significance. It's part of the whole gospel of Matthew that it's God's final uh, acting in mercy and in judgment. One of the things we, we always pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I always go to myself, really? Do we really want that? half of us would probably be dead. <laughs> you know, uh, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but we also need a great uh, a mass of repentance and a mass of preparation for it. If God's Holy Spirit were more active in our midst, we'd have more Ananias and Sapphira activity. Because God, God's judgment is his strange work, the prophets say, but he, he, he can't come as part, the parts of God you like. <laughs> like you can't say God visit us, but only the parts we really want. <laughs> we'll take, you know, we can't order off the hors d'oeuvre me menu at the cafeteria. God will take these parts of you. That's, you know, really what modern Christianity has become. It's become like cafeteria style. And it, it you know, that's why we're so ineffective in the world today. That's why even fresh, as the prophets say, fresh wine fails. Mer even miracles as Bill Johnson points out in his book, don't necessarily accomplish uh, repentance and so forth. Jesus pronounced judgment on many of the cities that he had done his miracles in because it didn't bring about repentance when it should when it should have. It's amazing how many things God has done in people's lives, but they still have not really made him Lord. Uh, Elijah with the prophets of Baal. That's one of my favorite ones. And it's interesting, if you don't believe it's a supernatural uh, surge of faith, read the next chapter. So on the one, the one you know, for two chapters, he's got so much faith that he's telling them, okay, let's dig this trench, fill it up with wood, and whosoever God, and put the sacrifice on it, and whosoever God consumes it by fire, is that's the one who's God. Now that's pretty bold when there's 400 prophets of Baal and only one of you, and they have swords. In fact, part of their religion was cutting. Anytime you get into people who are cutters, that's because they have occult spirits that's involved that started with spiritual rejection, but progressed into witchcraft and so forth. But um, when, uh, and the answer is deliverance, not, not necessarily, some Christian counseling lead them to Christ and so forth, but not, you know, Years of, of humanistic counseling won't won't really heal them, uh, like one power encounter with the Holy Spirit can. So, um, 
you know, Baal, Elijah is, is actually mocking the prophets of Baal. Like, where, well, how come your God's not answering with fire? Is he busy? You know, and he actually said, did he, ha- did he have to take a leak? Did he have to, is he out going to the bathroom somewhere? I mean, what's the problem here? And then when it's time for, for, you know, for him, he says, nah, this is too easy. Pour water on it. <laughs> you know? And he, I think he has them lift, put 20 buckets of water, if I remember right. So, what, yeah, they dig it they, so that it, the water's rolling out of the trenches and that, it, that they dug for it. And, and, um, and then the offering is consumed by fire. But the very next day, he's fleeing from Jezebel. For, you know, he's totally freaked out. He's totally scared. Uh, a, lot, a lot of Jezebel in the church today sometimes, but uh, especially certain sections and certain subcultures and so forth. But, um, you know, he's totally scared. He's, he's a lot like Ahab in the next chapter, more, more than like Elijah. Uh, isn't that amazing to me? That's amazing to me. Because the, the whole encounter with the prophets of Baal was a gift of faith. It was a supernatural encounter that went beyond Elijah's normal faith. And uh, I, I've had that. I hope you've had that. You know, I'm sure you remember I've told the story of the radiator and, and uh, you know, I'm driving to work with a guy who was backslidden and I'm trying to tell him about Jesus. His radiator boils over. And it, the steam is coming up. And uh, before I could think, I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you not to boil over. It stopped boiling over. The needle went down to cold. Everything went back to normal in one second. And the guy's mouth popped open. But I want to be honest with you, my mouth popped open. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. I was a baby Christian, and I was really excited about the Lord. I was full of the Spirit, and I just spoke uh, as we uh, some of us do, I still do this sometimes. But sometimes you speak without thinking. <laughs> now, normally that doesn't work out very well, except when you're in the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> when you're in the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking without thinking is pretty can be very good. But uh, when they're when you're in the flesh, it's not very good. And uh, we've all been there. <laughs> Hopefully, in both respects. Um, that's that's gifts of faith. Uh, they're very important. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm going to, I should have finished talking about Jesus and the fig tree. Just put it in the context of his covenant lawsuit against Israel. And the fig tree all through the Old Testament is one of the major symbols of Israel. And he's saying the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you and be given to a nation producing the fruit of it. He's saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. And he's saying, see, these stones, one stone will not be left on another. He's declaring the judgment that, that was fulfilled from 67 to 70 AD, and cursing the fig tree was, was part of that. He wasn't in the flesh. He shouldn't have hugged the fig tree. God was done with the fig tree. He was going to plant a different fig tree. You know, he was going to graft, or, or as Paul says, he was going to graft new branches into the old olive tree. So I'll tell you one more personal story. Uh, but really, these are things that happen that are not normal. Uh, you ha- they do tend to happen more often when a body of people commits themselves to not being bound up by fleshly sins and having a lot of prayer going on in, in their midst. 
you know, the International House of Prayer thing where they have the, this ongoing prayer meeting. They have, they have some regular visitations of the Spirit that roll through there. I'm sure they're having one this week. They, normally their IHOP thing is quite like that. But um, the, these kind of things happen more often when a group of people give themselves over to fasting, prayer, and not living in the deeds of the flesh, getting delivered from besetting sins and so forth. There are certain sins, especially sexual immorality sins, that will drive the Holy Spirit away from the church more than any other kind of sin. Read through, all through Leviticus, etc. And it's not that God doesn't love you, it's that God, want, God has grace to set you free. And to not be set free is simply to be refusing God's grace instead of seeking God's grace. Now, we had a, uh, I'm going to tell one more testimony about this. It, back in the uh, days of the campus ministry in Bowling Green, when Catherine was living across the street, heading up a uh, house of four, sing, four other single ladies, five total single ladies, and I was living in the house with five total single brothers, and we had a, an, a prayer meeting every night. Uh, and then when teams would go out and share the gospel, and there was, uh, uh, we had Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday and Wednesday, four, four nights a week, we would ha have prayer and then teams going out. Then Thursday night was our main campus ministry meeting, and, and we had a Friday night worship. So, I mean, every day except Saturday, there was a, a worship and prayer meeting going. And so um, there was kind of a, an atmosphere of expectation, and there was lots of, lots of amazing things happening. In fact, I'll probably share a few of them. Because this is what I'm, I'm hoping to start building toward the reason we started the right state thing and what the reason I'm starting to have some prayer meetings. I've been praying with some people Wednesday nights and so forth. The reason we're doing this is because we need this kind of visitation of God's spirit. We can't really accomplish any of the purposes of God for this church unless we step into this realm and stay there. There was one night as we were getting going to bed, um, I shared a room with a, a guy named Scott Kazi, who I used to jokingly call Gehazi Kazi, uh, because Gehazi was Elisha's servant. And Scott like did everything to allow me to be more free for the ministry. I mean, he cooked my dinners and uh, did my laundry, did everything that I would need to minister full time around the clock. And uh, and it, we were going out sharing the gospel every night. Um, and here are a couple of stories. As we're getting to bed one night, it was just after 11, and we had just climbed into our bed. The phone rang back in the days before the cell phones when you had to jump out of bed and actually pick up the receiver and all. And uh, some of you don't know there was a time like that, but, <laughs> but there was. Uh, and it was, uh, it was a guy named Randy Blome, who's a medical doctor today. Uh, he was a pre-med student. And he was what's called a resident advisor in the dorm, and he was a member of our fellowship. And uh, we would try to get guys to stay on campus and be resident advisors whenever possible. And he said, there's this, he goes, this guy named Dave Hickman uh, is, is, is uh, freaking out in the lobby. And this was a guy who we had shared the gospel with. He was a backslidden Methodist. I uh, had come to the Lord as a kid, but really had gotten totally into partying and drugs and girls and all this kind of stuff. And uh, he had come to church one time, but he had basically, after that, kind of bolted and said, Whoo, I'm not going that direction, and gotten his partying had gone up to a whole new level. And he had basically was doing LSD 
And he started having these weird ideas, and he ended up in the lobby of the dorm in his underwear, bleeding from his private parts because he tried to cut them off. And uh, I get a call that he's in the lobby, and this is the state of things. And I don't know, I don't to this day know how I, I, I would not, 99% of the time, I would not have responded like this. It's just where there was this atmosphere of the Holy Spirit that was regular and often, and it was just a surge of faith. And I just said, we'll be right there. And I told my roommate, we're going to Offenhauer Towers. And we, we ran out of the, you know, like we just pulled some clothes on and ran out of the house, kind of still pulling our shoes on while we're running out. And we discovered that my car was totally covered with snow. It had just snowed. Well, we were 20, what, two or something back then, 24 or something like that. And uh, so I just said, it'll take too long to scrape it. Let's, it's less than a mile. Let's run. <laughs> so <laughs> we did. We ran, we ran to Offenhauer Tires. Meanwhile, I'm praying like, oh, Lord, what do we, you know, help us. God help us. What are we doing? Uh, and uh, we got in there, and there were literally 40 or 50 people around Dave, and he's in the middle, kind of screaming, oh. And he's in, you know, all kind. He's having a, he's having a bad trip and a demonic spiritual experience. And while we were running, maybe it was God's sovereignty that we ran, so I could think. But I had thought about when Jesus put out everyone else, uh, except the girl's parents and his three main disciples. Now, you might. There's lots of speculation to why did Jesus do that. But I think that it's because certain kinds of miracles only happen in an atmosphere of faith when everyone has faith. One of the things that I've pled, I've been begging and begging our church to get rid of fleshly habits to and so forth, because we need everyone to get on that page if God's going to do what he really wants to do in our midst. And so uh, we, we all need to become people who speak in tongues regularly, who worship regularly, who walk holy, who study our Bibles, who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We need an atmosphere like that. And so we actually went into the lobby, Scott, uh, Scott and I, and I told everyone that they had to leave. <laughs> and I had no authority on the campus. I was you know, leading a campus ministry. I, uh, but I just had authority in God that there was very different experience for me. I'm normally kind of a meek and frightened kind of person. And so I, uh, you know, I made everyone leave. And we, t and we actually told Dave, we said, Dave, you're running from the call of God on your life. And if you'll repent and give your life back to Christ, I will command the spirits to stop tormenting you and you'll stop hallucinating and you'll stop tripping and you'll be in your normal mind right now. I just told him that. Now, you don't have to have done drugs yourself to experience something like that, but probably helps. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know. But uh, no, probably not. But it just was a surge of faith. So, and you know, it's amazing that God will even allow your faith to be tested. But if it's a surge of faith, your faith will rise up over it. So the next thing I know, um, Randy Blome, the RA, for, uh, his, the, his boss, the assistant hall director, comes in and starts yelling at us. You guys don't know what you're doing. I used to work in a, uh, I used to work in a, uh, um, emergency room and guys would come in tripping on drugs like this and one in one minute you'd be working with them the next minute they'd be dead this guy needs to go to the hospital 
And I honestly, this God honest truth is, I said, Randy, I don't know what kind of spirit this young man's in, but he's not in the Holy Spirit. You're going to need to take him outside. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and uh, I'm serious. And uh, so we're, we're still ministering to Dave and, and talking to him about repenting and what God's trying to do in his life and this kind of thing. And Randy comes back in. He goes, he goes the hall director's really mad. They're the assistant hall director. You need, you need to come talk to him. I go, all right, Dave, we'll be right back. You guys just talk with him. So I go out there, and this guy's freaking out. You don't know what you're doing or what it gives you. The, and I, I said, he goes, we need to call an ambulance. And by this time, Dave, you know, had uh, was was repentant, and we were about to command the spirits to leave him alone and all this. So I actually I said, fine, call the ambulance. By the time they get here, he'll be fine. And so he did. He went and called an ambulance, and we went in, and we commanded Dave, the demonic spirits, to make him stop hallucinating and stop tripping, and we prayed for God to intervene chemically and biologically. And and Dave sat up, and he actually was like, how did I get here? In the, I'm in my underwear in the lobby. <laughs> what happened here? He, and uh, all of a sudden, this ambulance, these ambulance guys with their uh, gurney, I guess it's called, is that what they call the thing, comes uh, they come crashing through the doors, and they're like, Dave, Dave, we're here to take you to the hospital. He goes, why? <laughs> and he goes, well, you've been freaking out. And, we, and he, goes, he goes, I'm fine. I don't need to go to the hospital. And uh, they said, well, we can't make you go, but you can't stay here in the lobby in your underwear. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, um, he goes, uh, okay, we'll go up to my room. <laughs> So we went up to his room and continued to pray for him, and he got baptized in the Spirit and all kind of stuff. And um, it was a glorious occasion. Uh, but that is not my normal kind of everyday experience. It's a gift, a surge of faith. But if we will give ourselves to being come people of the Spirit, God wants to do that kind of thing way more than you think. He wants to get to a place, I've actually been in, three times I've been in atmospheres that lasted a few years where we would actually use the phrase, the common, ordinary, everyday Book of Acts miracles, <laughs> just to be understand that we knew this is, this is what comes from a group, a, a body of Christians who give themselves to, to, to holiness individually, corporately, no, no bitterness in our relationships, all relationships uh, clean and clear, etc., no walking in darkness, every, uh, being in the light about everything, prioritizing God over everything, and having lots of worship, prayer, and that kind of thing going on. God wants us to, that, that is my hope for Grace Christian Fellowship. Frankly, we either have to attain that or we should just go join another church. Really. I'm really, uh, it's really that clear. You, we either ha have to come to a way where we're living this way, or we should just quit. Because everything else is just religion. A body without the Spirit is dead. A body of Christians without this kind of flow of God's Spirit in it is just religion. I don't want to even be a part of that, frankly. That's why I'm always begging people to, to become this, a Spirit-filled person and live in the Spirit, follow the Spirit. So... By the way, that whole story is a, a great argument for uh, not doing drugs. <laughs> Just in case you need an argument for not doing drugs, because while we're talking to him, he he was so he was so stoned or whatever, 
and so in a demonic spirit that he actually said to us, he goes, I suddenly realized that all men are evil. And I'm, at first I go, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know. And then I realized that he was actually talking about the male gender. And he was under so much guilt and shame about the fact because he was the kind of guy who was conquering young ladies uh, in the wrong sort of way all the time. And he was very shamed and guilty of that. And that's why he tried to cut off his male part. So for what it's worth, walk righteously and don't do drugs. <laughs> and don't engage in sexual immorality because the guilt, shame levels, it twists your entire character and personality. All right, gifts of healings. Now, this is important. I, I spent way too long telling those stories, but uh, we'll finish this part of it. I guess I won't be reviewing today. Gifts of healings. What's very important that, uh, unfortunately, only the King James, the New King James, and the Young's Literal bring out, but the Greek brings out very well, is that both the word gifts and the word healings in the Greek are plural. Now, because of the principles of dynamic equivalence, the uh, the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, so most of the dynamic equivalence modern translations say, well, that's not good grammar. So they say gift of healings, but the Greek is actually gifts of healings. I'm not saying that the ESV or the New American Standard translate it wrong necessarily. They translate it within good principles of dynamic equivalence, but, they, but you miss the, some of the point there. Because there are many kinds of gifts of many kinds of healings. There are, uh, there are uh, just the kinds of healings include spiritual, mental, emotional, uh, volitional. You, you know, people's will sometimes is bound because they've given themselves over to a sin so much. They need a supernatural uh, encounter to break free from a demonic uh, habit. Uh, it, there's gifts of healings that, that uh, in, you know, of every kind of physical problem there is. And ones that, diseases that will develop in the next hundred years or so, there's gifts of healings already being prepared for those. God can heal AIDS. He can heal leprosy. He can heal anything. And then in terms of the gifts, the way they come, I mean, Jesus spit and made mud <laughs> and stuck it in a guy's eye. You know, Elijah told, or Elisha, I'm sorry, told Naaman the Syrian to go wash seven times in uh, the pool of what, Siloam or in the Jordan River. In the Jordan River, yeah, pool of Siloam is Jesus. Um, Jesus, uh, you know, there, there's many of these kind of things. And don't limit God. If somebody is loving Jesus, they have uh, the right kinds of accountability in their life that people know that they're recommended by godly people of good character and so forth. And, uh, and they have a proven track record and, and, you know, they're, they're in some place of financial accountability and so forth. Then I don't care if they stand on their head in Jesus name and, and lay feet on people. I mean, what, what, don't try that unless you're under the anointing to do so. But, uh, <laughs> you know, don't limit, don't get into this thing. Well, that, that can't be from God. You know, Paul just said, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, some of those other safeguards I mentioned are the implications of making Jesus Lord. But if 
if Jesus is Lord of the person's life and they have you know, if they stand on one hand sideways and pray with the other hand, I'm good with it. You know, if they spit on the guy's feet and rub it in or side, if, if, if it's done in Jesus' name and it brings forth good fruit and there's a proven life to back it up, uh, there are many gifts of many healings and we need them. You know, uh, the, the Bible says a spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but a wounded spirit who can bear do you know that it's way easier? You know, I um, have had this little breakthrough with my back that's doing much better. It's way easier to deal with something like back pain uh, for 40, 50 years than there is to deal with a wounded spirit. Um, because of the brokenness of our culture, because of the brokenness of our families, because of even Christian families not always having the most insight in how to be good parents, and, and frankly, you can be really good parents, but if you don't have a good marriage, your kid will grow up with wounded spirit. You, you got to hear that, Christian parents. If you don't have a good marriage, your, your, your child is getting wounded all the time. And a wounded spirit, nobody can bear. So they ha you have to come up with coping mechanisms to avoid it. That's some people that are outgoing are really just trying to, trying to never let anyone get close to them. Some people that are withdrawn are just trying to never let anyone get close to them. And you are, you are really not going to progress very far in your Christian life until you get a supernatural healing of your wounded spirit, including deliverance from any demonic spirits of rejection, insecurity, and all that kind of stuff that came in uh, when you had the loss of a parent or whatever caused your wound, spirit to be wounded. You can grow up in a good home. I grew up in a, my parents had a great marriage by the time I was around 12. They had a terrible marriage until then. Then they became born again and baptized in the spirit, developed a deliverance ministry and read books on Christian family and changed quite a bit. But there was a lot of damage in my life already. And a wounded spirit was something I really struggled with as a young Christian. And God healed that wounded spirit many times until it, be, it just became progressively a more whole spirit. I had no self-confidence before I was a Christian. I couldn't actually get in front of an audience and talk. You know, I always joke I was actually a wrestler, and I was so full of insecurities that it, when you shake hands at the beginning of the match, I really in my heart was saying, you know, couldn't we just talk this over? What did I ever do to you? <laughs> and, I mean, I was scared. I, my life was full of fears. A wounded spirit people can't bear. You can, be, you can deal with it a certain way. You know, I became popular and did drugs and all these kind of things, but it, it never reached the real surface of what was going on. Well, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to end with talking about, I wish I could talk more about uh, gifts of healings. They're all through the Bible. I list a few at the, the bottom. Uh, Peter, and in, 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 look at Peter in Acts 3 and 5 if you want to. Uh, I wanted to tell the testimony of this lady named Dorothy Walker, whose kid had club feet, and her, her, they were made totally straight at an Oral Roberts uh, thing in the 50s. Amazing testimony. Uh, affecting a miracle's works of power, a supernatural impartation of the ability to affect an event in which people, things, and situations are altered in an extraordinary and beneficial uh, manner. 
Uh, Moses with the Red Sea, Jesus rebuking the wind, uh, Jesus creating wine. I love the wedding of Cana miracle above all other miracles because uh, it's the answer to the whole creation evolution debate on many levels. For uh, for one thing, Jesus uh, had him fill up, you know, jars with water. If you do the math, hudor hudatas to, to the brim, they were ceremonial jars. So there was 120 to 180 gallons at a re at a wedding reception where the wine had already ran out. <laughs> And believe me, it wasn't grape juice. I actually heard a pastor talk one time on why Jesus made grape juice at the wedding of Cain, and I was like, oh, my God. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> um, I won't even go there with the logic. It's just too hilarious. But, the, you know, when the head waiter says, uh, hey, what's going on here? Most people serve the bad wine first. You save the best wine for last. Well, if you know, I don't know a lot about viticulture and how to make wine and stuff. I know this much. The best wine is meticulously aged wine. Now, it also involves the, how good the grapes are. And that, of course, it takes, it, it takes time to grow the grapes right. They have to be picked at exactly the right time. They have to be processed in exactly the right way. Then they have to be aged in exactly the right way. And if you want a certain kind of flavor, you use oak barrels and so forth, right? The point is, is this, Jesus created Adam and Eve as mature adults the moment they were created. Jesus created the wine, his mature aged wine that had gone through a process that actually takes quite a few years on the moment it was created. I believe that God made the stars and everything else in such a way that they were billions of years old the moment they came into existence. And because he said, let there be light, he didn't say, let there be so much light. That process is still going on. The universe is still expanding. Scientists have discovered that now, but they should have expected that from the Hebrew scriptures all along. That there be light is that that command it has not been rescinded, and light is still expanding, but it's expanding on the moment it's created. When the moment certain galaxies come into existence and stars and so forth, they're already aged. Amen.